difference between the gospel and being saved and being baptized. He said, God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Listen to this. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The apostles, particularly Peter, elevated the act of and preparation for preaching above every other church activity. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason, meaning it's not reasonable, it's not best practice that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, is he saying that the, the serving of tables and the, the helping of widows is unimportant? That's not what they're saying at all. He said, but the most important thing we do is how we handle the word of God. He said that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they choose these seven deacons. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, what was the result? What was the result of the implementation of the diaconate, these deacons, and, and, and refocusing the apostles on the preparation and preaching of the word of God? And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So when preaching has its place, good things happen. Now, I am all for gathering and having a good time and enjoying ourselves, but I am very leery of, of these services in which, man, I'll tell you, we got to singing and we got to praising, and it got so good we never got to preaching. Well, that's all fine and good, but as I understand the Word of God, then you can't call it a church service because a church service has preaching even if it's only five minutes even if it's almost devotional in nature if you come and you never open the word of God you may have had a wonderful gathering you may have had a wonderful time together but you didn't have church because God makes it clear that it is the foolishness of preaching that he most blesses now, as we approach Vision Sunday, and, and a lot of these messages are, are kind of just my way of working out things on the way to Vision Sunday, as we approach that and make plans for our future growth and the growth of this ministry, I am keenly aware of my primary responsibility going forward. It is weighed heavy upon me. My primary responsibility from this point moving to however long the Lord leaves me here as your pastor is this, to be a faithful herald of God's word. 
to rightly divide the scriptures, and to get better at my craft as each year passes. It is reasonable for you to expect me to be a better preacher today than I was 12 years ago, and it's reasonable for you to expect me to be a better preacher 12 years from now than I am today. Preachers evolve. Don't, Don't be afraid of that word. It is used sometimes in a right way. Preachers evolve. And we are constantly evaluating the effectiveness of our preaching. That's one of the tough things about being a preacher. And I love what I do, and I'm not trying to sound like, oh, poor me. But we are constantly evaluating, did this work? Did this make a point? Did this drive that point home? These folks didn't look like they were real happy, and these folks over here weren't even paying attention. That that guy was asleep. And, you know, we're constantly evaluating, what can I do differently? How can my, and any of you that have preached any at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when you feel like a service didn't go well, or you feel like a sermon didn't hit home, the first thing you do is say, man alive, what did I do? How did I mess this thing up? This thing preached great in my car. This thing preached great in my study. I mean, I thought Crystal wrote a really good one this time, you know? Now, I understand I have other responsibilities, and I take those seriously as well, and I'm going to endeavor to get better at everything that I do as your pastor. But more than anything, I am endeavoring in the coming year to be a better preacher than I've ever been. That's not so lofty a goal. I am to study more deeply, proclaim more fervently, and grow more predictably. I desire to be a better administrator for sure. I desire to be a better counselor. I desire to be a better organizer. I desire to be a better vision caster. But God's expectation of my office beyond all else is that I preach and teach the Word of God in a manner that is consistent with what He demands and what you deserve. With this in mind, I want to look at Paul's final words about preaching. And in doing so, I've got two goals. Number one, I want to frame out what you have a right to expect of me. But I also want to frame out what I have a right to expect of you. So with that in mind, here's the title of the message. Righteous heralds and responsive hearers. Righteous heralds and responsive hearers. Father, would you help me to preach this in the way that most pleases you? I don't want to get this, I don't want to get any of them wrong, Lord, but I especially want to get this one right. This is not meant to be anything about me. It's meant to be about the power of preaching your word. And that, that doesn't matter how good the preacher is or how eloquent they are or how polished they are, Lord. If we will proclaim your word, the Bible does the work through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us to do just that tonight effectively. And may Jesus be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. i got five things for you to consider tonight. Righteous heralds and responsive hearers. Number one why we preach why we preach look at verse number one i charge thee therefore before god and the lord jesus christ who shall notice it doesn't say might could perhaps who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom 
Why do we preach? We preach because judgment is coming. That's why we preach. We proclaim God's word because judgment is coming. What kind of judgment? Well, for the Christian, you and I await what's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's not a judgment seat that determines whether or not you go to heaven or hell. That's already been settled. But it does determine the level of your reward as you go into heaven. And that's something to be taken seriously. This idea that, man, as soon as I get to heaven, there'll be no more crying, that actually doesn't bear out in Scripture. God wipes away all tears some point seven years past when we go to heaven. Okay? That, that happens post-tribulation and all of that. Well, what kind of tears are there going to be in heaven? I'll tell you what kind of tears are going to be in heaven. My tears are going to be in heaven because I'm going to see all the ways that I failed my Lord Jesus and I should have served him better and I should have done more. The, the rewards that he had for me that I just never bothered to claim. The blessings that we could have enjoyed that I just never paid any attention to. Oh, there will be tears. 1 Corinthians 3. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There's a whole lot of Christians that have done a whole lot of things that they thought were great, but they did them for the wrong reasons and with the wrong motive, and they're just going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Just gone. Just gone. The Bema seat awaits the Christian. That's why we preach. But much more serious, the great white throne awaits the lost. Revelation 20. Now let me hasten to say this. If you're saved, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need not fear the great white throne. I won't even be there. I believe we will be there, but we'll not be standing before it. Because it's at the great white throne that Satan gets cast into the lake of fire. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that myself. I'm hoping I can help. So if you're saved tonight, you don't need to fear the great white throne. I know, I know verses and passages like this. I've been saved a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm an independent Baptist preacher, and these verses still make me nervous when I read them. And that's okay. That's a normal response to them. But if you've trusted Christ, you need not fear the great white throne. But if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the great white throne ought to scare you to no end. I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Now, now let's, let's talk about that for a second. You have the book of life that... that condemns you. These other books are what convict you. They're your works. And I believe wholeheartedly that there are levels of punishment in hell just as there are levels of blessing in heaven. Jesus is pretty clear about that. It'll be more tolerable for them in the judgment is what he said. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't mean to be unkind. I don't mean to be um, insensitive. But in the last couple of days, the Catholic Church buried Pope Benedict XVI. Doesn't matter how conservative a pope he was. Doesn't matter what, what kind of a job he did administratively. If Pope Benedict XVI put his faith and trust in the doctrines of the church and in Mary and all those other things and not in Jesus Christ alone, then Pope Benedict XVI is in hell tonight. It's a sad thing. I take, I take no joy in saying that. His religion means nothing. The fact that he ascended to the highest plateau of his religion means nothing if his name wasn't written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why we preach. We preach because judgment awaits. So righteous heralds, what is our responsibility? To preach it straight with eternity in view. So what is the responsibility of the responsive hearers? To hear it straight with eternity in view. Number two. Why we preach. Number two, what we preach. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach your opinion. Preach your denomination. Preach your tradition. Preach your culture. Preach, I could keep going and going and going, but it doesn't say any of those things, does it? It says, preach the word. That's as narrow as it sounds. Preach the word. We have no time for tradition and preference and what I call regional curiosities. Paul reminded Timothy just earlier in this letter of the Bible's importance. What did he say to him? Back in chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. Hey, Timothy, all you need is the Bible. The Bible takes care of what's right, what's wrong, how to get things right, and how to keep things right. That covers about everything we're going to face. All you need is the Bible. What we preach. I have a responsibility and a right to proclaim the Word of God. We are quickly approaching, and some parts of this country are already there, in which it will become illegal to preach what thus saith the Lord. If Jesus tarries his coming, it's going to happen in the United States of America, and they're going to call it hate speech. So what do you do, Andy? You preach the word. Now don't go out of your way to be unkind. Don't go out of your way to be mean-spirited, but you preach what thus saith the Lord, period. 
Now, traditions and things like that, policies and all that kind of thing, they're helpful, but only if they advance the application of God's word. And anything that clogs the free transmission of God's word is counterproductive and needs to be rejected. If it keeps us from preaching the word of God, it needs to go. Period. So righteous heralds, what is our responsibility? To know God's word, to study God's word, to love God's word, and to proclaim God's word. Now, what's your responsibility? Responsive hearers are to hear God's word, apply God's word, and spread God's word. Number three, why we preach, what we preach. How about when we preach? When do we preach? We're still in verse two. Preach the word. Be instant. In season, out of season. That's an interesting phrase. Well, two of them actually, and both of them demand our attention. Where's, where's Brother Thompson? He's up, in, he's up in the crow's nest, isn't he? One of the things that, one of the responsibilities that Brother Thompson has here is we're helping to prepare him. He is laboring under a call to eventually a pastor, his own church, if the Lord so leads, okay? And uh, that's a wonderful thing. So part of what he's doing here is he's learning everything he can about ministry from this ministry that he might go forth more prepared for his first pastor than I was for mine. That's our goal, okay? So, Brother Thompson, this is something to pay close attention to. Be instant, in season, out of season. What does that mean? Let's break it down. To be instant means to be ready at a moment's notice. Biblically, I try not to do this, but biblically, anybody in here who's under a call to preach, I should be able to come to you at a moment's notice and say, man, I'm not going to be able to preach tonight. I need you to take care of it. What? Yep, that's exactly what it means. I can't tell you how many times I have forgotten that it was my turn to preach chapel in school. But it's okay. You know why? Because I try to be instant. I got messages in my back pocket for any number of occasions. I even have emergency funeral messages. What? Yep. I once got a call from the funeral home asking me to handle a funeral for a family who didn't have a pastor because the guy that was supposed to preach the funeral didn't show up. The family was already there. I had 30 minutes to prepare for a funeral for someone I had never even heard of. That's being instant. It says in season, out of season. That means without regard to convenience or receptivity. So we put those two together, and what is Paul saying? Hey, Timothy, be ready to preach at a moment's notice, with no regard to how you feel about it or how you think your hearers are going to feel about it. <laughs> hey, Timothy, you're pastoring in Ephesus, bud. That's the home of Diana, the, Ephe of the Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, one of the most perverted ideas that, that, that Roman and Greek mythology ever came up with is based in Ephesus. 
And so here's what you need to do, Timothy. You need to be ready to cry out against it at any moment and don't worry about what they think about it. Well, I don't feel like it. Doesn't matter. Any preacher in here will tell you there have been times that you were about to preach and you didn't feel like it. Except me. No, it happens to me more than I care to admit. So what do we take from that? When do we preach? We preach whenever the master bids us proclaim his message. So for the righteous heralds, what's your responsibility and my responsibility? Proclaim God's message with no regard to how it does or, who will, or, uh, or how it's going to affect you. Just preach the word. Now, for responsive hearers, what's your responsibility? Receive the word, prepared to make whatever changes the Spirit says for you to make. I need to be prepared to preach to a group of people that care nothing about what I'm going to say, but that doesn't mean that you need to go out of your way to be that way. Right? Well, I'm going to help the preacher be true to the Scriptures. I'm going to act like I just can't stand this message. No, don't do that. Be prepared to hear what God has for you. I'm not usually a big fan of assumptions, but I'm going I'm to offer you an assumption to make. Every time you come to church, assume that God has something to say to you. That's a safe one, because he does. I preach a message on salvation. Well, I've been saved 40 years. There's still something there for you. There's still something there for you. Make that assumption. So when do we preach? Whenever we need to. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this cause, also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul said, I appreciate that when you hear preaching, you understand it's not me. It's God. Now, once again, that's one of those times that it sounds serving, self-serving. The preacher just said that his voice is the voice of God. That's not what I said. But if I preach what this book says, you are hearing the word of God. Why we preach, what we preach, when we preach, number four, how we preach. We're still in verse two. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Now, here's how we preach. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul includes three elements that should be present in preaching. And it's interesting, of these elements, the first two are negative, and the third one is positive. Now, do I take that as a mandate that all of my messages should be two-thirds negative? No. But it does give me some cover. I don't like that preacher. He preaches, and I feel guilty. If I'm preaching the Word of God and you feel guilty, it's real simple. It's because you are. Same reason I feel guilty when I read the Word of God or somebody preaches the Word of God to me. It's because I am. Pastor Brothers used to say that all the time. 
you feel guilty, it's probably because you are. I don't go out of my way to preach mean-spirited messages and messages that leave everybody feeling like they're just the worst, sorriest dog of a Christian to ever walk the planet. That's not my intention. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're listening to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit has free reign in your heart, there's going to be times that you feel bad about it. Let's see what these ingredients are. He says, first of all, to reprove. That means to call to conviction. And then to rebuke, that means to call to repentance. So they work together. Get them convicted? Well, the Holy Spirit does that, but you know what I'm saying. See them come under conviction and then encourage them to repent. Reprove, rebuke, and then exhort. The word exhort comes from the word paraclete. It means to come alongside of. So what he's saying is reprove, Rebuke and then come alongside of your people and encourage them. Now, that doesn't mean to physically bring everybody aside. Hey, let me talk to you about something real quick. Y'all just mind your business for a second. No, that's not what he's saying. But a preacher ought to identify with his people. One of the ways that I know what to preach for you is what do I need? Because we're made of the same stuff, right? I used to have this view of preachers as being these marble icons that never sinned. My soul. That ain't true, y'all. It's not. We're made of the same stuff. Now, we are called to a higher standard, and I get that. But we need to come alongside one another and encourage one another. And so my preaching should be preaching that calls people to conviction and calls people to repentance, but then comes alongside of them and encourages them. But then temper, Paul tempers this requirement with a goal and an attitude. What should be the goal of my preaching? I'm going to skip one and come back to it. He says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with doctrine. What is the ultimate goal of my preaching every time? And that's to teach people what God's Word says about anything and everything. If they're lost, I need to teach them what the Word says about being saved. If they're away from God, I need to teach them what the Word says about getting back close to God. If they've got a situation in their life that demands a a scriptural answer, teach them what the Bible says about that. We are trying to teach doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Doctrine. We're in a part of the age right now in which doctrine has been cast to the winds in favor of feeling. But over and again, Paul mentions doctrine, 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 doctrine. It matters what you believe, friend. But then he gives an attitude. He says, be instant in season, out of season, reprove Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. I'll admit to you, I've missed that one before. And a lot of my fundamentalist brethren have missed that before. I'm going to preach and I'm going to reprove and I'm going to rebuke. And I might sprinkle in a little bit of exhortation along the way. But we forget that it says to do those things with all long suffering. What does that mean? What do we take from that? Well, as a preacher, I'm to be patient with people's spiritual growth. 
It's taken me a long time to start to learn this. I can't expect everybody in my pew, under the sound of my voice, to be at the same level spiritually as the person sitting next to them. There are going to be people that I have to tell the same thing to over and over and over and over, just like my kids. As they're growing up, right now, Asher, and not everybody has to do this, and I realize this is a cultural thing, but Crystal and I, being the Southerners that we are, we, we both think that yes, sir, and yes, ma'am is a big deal. And, and if you don't, I don't, I'm not offended. I'm not offended if you see it differently, but that's our culture, and it's one of those parts of culture that I think is useful. And so we, we insist that our kids say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I counted it up the other day how many times I've had to correct Asher in the ma'am, sir situation. I counted it up. 1,275,384 times I've had to say, Asher, yes, sir. Claire didn't have a hard time with it, but Asher is just rebellious. And the amazing thing is, he'll say more to get out of saying it than just saying it. Asher, did you do what I asked you to do? Well, I'm pretty sure I did. Why don't you just say, yes, sir? Have you done? I think so. Just say yes, sir. Yes, sir. See, wasn't that easy? Not really. No, no, sir. That wasn't easy. Son, you've got to get this. You've got to get this. You say, Andy, is that a spankable fence? No, it's not because he'd die. We have to tell our kids the same things over and over and over again. So it's reasonable to conclude that sometimes people are growing at a level in their faith that sometimes we've got to tell them something more than once. So what should we do? Be patient. But can I be honest with you? I've gone to other churches, and I've been judgmental. Oh, let's have the ushers come forward and receive the offering. And one of those ushers is maybe looks kind of rough. Doesn't look very much like a fundamentalist. What in the world is he doing collecting God's money? Shame on me. That's not being long-suffering, is it? So, I'm to be patient with you, aren't I? Now, there's another side of the coin. You're to be patient with me, too. I've been going to that church 12 years, and he has yet to do a series on prophecy. I ain't gonna. I might when Earl goes to heaven, but until then, I'm not going. I'm not going to preach on prophecy. He's got it covered. I say that jokingly. Obviously, if the Lord laid that on my heart, of course I would. But I'm not going to do anything the Lord doesn't tell me to do. Preacher, I can't believe in 12 years you still practice open communion. How about you just be patient with me, okay? I've been, here, I've been here 10 years, and that same person's given the same problems, and he hadn't done anything about it yet. Be patient. And be patient with one another. Huh? Be patient with one another. Because that's what God expects all of us to do, is to be long-suffering with one another. 
And you say, well, I went to that church, and I'm going to tell you, they had all kinds of freaky-looking people in there. That's probably a good sign then. Because if you got a church where everybody looks like the cover of Mormon life today, probably you're not reaching the people you need to reach. So I get up here and I preach and then you don't do it. What do I do? Be patient. And when I don't do what you want me to do, be patient. Righteous Heralds preach thoroughly biblical messages that correct and encourage in a patient and systematic way. Responsive hearers submit to difficult truths, apply them wherever they can, and are patient with others as they do the same. Why we preach, what we preach, when we preach. How we preach. Now, here's number, number five. Yeah, I did that. Number five. Where we preach. Verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I, I wouldn't dare change the Bible, but it would be fair to say for the time has come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. What in the world does this have to do with where we preach? Would you agree with me that preaching environments are becoming more and more hostile? Yeah. There was a time that at least some measure of respect was given to the proclaiming of the Word of God, but now go out on a street corner and see what happens to you. Put out a word of encouragement on social media and see what happens. It's getting more and more hostile. So what, what room does Paul give to Timothy? Does it, at any point does he say that, all right, Timothy, avoid these areas. Avoid these people that are, that, are, that are not enduring sound doctrine. Avoid those that have turned their ears from the truth and should be turned. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying you just keep preaching right in the middle of them. Preaching environments are becoming more and more hostile. So what's my responsibility as a righteous herald? To preach wherever it's needed. I've got a friend of mine who's now in heaven. He pastored, by my count, four different churches. And each time he left, he left for the same reason. These people don't want the truth. So I'm moving on. And I'd say the average stay in whatever church he was in was about a year, year and a half. Now, I don't know his heart. And I don't know if God was moving him or he wasn't. But I know this. Sometimes you just got to stay in a tough environment and keep preaching the truth. Well, that's not God's will. Well, it was God's will for Jeremiah. <coughs> Jeremiah and Isaiah both had the distinction of preaching to people that God told them, they're not going to listen to you. But you're not preaching based on whether or not they listen to you. You're preaching because I gave you a message to preach. Now take it to them. Now, I don't have that problem here, and I thank God for that. 
Y'all are y'all are so receptive and 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 you know. Are there times where I ask myself, boy, I probably could have done that differently. I didn't really hit a home run tonight or whatever. But but on the whole, this is a very receptive church, and for that I'm grateful. But what happens if it stops being receptive? You keep preaching. You keep preaching. And you stay where God puts you. Can I tell you, this is true just in general, whether you're a preacher or not. It's relatively easy to go where God's called you to go. That's exciting when God calls you somewhere. That's exciting. Whether you're a preacher that's going to a church or, or God's called your family to a new, uh, a new uh, you know, job or something like that, and boy, we're going to get to start all over, and, and, and then this is exciting. I think God's going to use us here, and we're going to join this little church over here, and we're going to help them grow, and we're going to take what we've learned. This is going to be great. This is exciting. It's relatively easy to go where God calls you to go. What's hard is to stay where God's called you to stay. I expect that the Davies probably experienced some measure of excitement coming here and God leading them here and putting everything together. That's great. But if he's honest, and you don't have to go ask him, but if he's honest, I'm sure there have been moments that it's not been as shiny as it was when they came here. I'm sure that Foster came here with the idea that I'm the greatest preacher in America and that this is going to open doors to him like he never believed. Now, probably that hasn't changed yet, but <laughs> there's going to come a day, and I don't, I don't want to rush that day. I'd, I'd really like to keep him here as long as the Lord will let him stay here. But there's going to come a day he's going to come to him and say, well, there's an opportunity that's opened up, and I've been praying about it. Man, that's exciting. That's great, man. What can we do to help you? And there will come a day into that that he'll call me and say, man, I don't know if I made the right decision or not. What do you do? That's that old saying, you bloom where you're planted. You proclaim the word of God. Whether you're a preacher or not, you proclaim the word of God where you are. So where do we preach? Anywhere we need to. No matter how hostile the environment is, no matter how tough it's getting, we keep preaching. And and, and, and it's responsive here is we're to strive to cultivate a receptive, non-hostile environment. Whoops, so what? Andy, what do I take from this? All right, you've you talked about preaching, and I'm not a called to be a preacher. All of us have a role to play moving forward. This is the so what. I still believe that the best days of this ministry short of the rapture are yet ahead. And if the rapture happens, then those are the best days of the ministry. And alive. It'd be great. But short of the rapture, the best days of this church are still ahead. Now, have we hit some bumps? Yeah. 2020 was just one big bump. And in some ways, we haven't recovered. In some ways, we're better off than we were. I mean... Can I ask you to think about it from my perspective? I finally get up the courage to say, you know what? I think, I think God wants us to build a family life center. This is going to be great. And then COVID hits. Well, Lord, was I wrong? Was my timing wrong? Was I? 
I don't think so. And by the way, when you get busy about doing something for God, circumstances will line up against you. It will happen. It will. I cannot wait to give you our new theme. There's so much we can do with it. It, it, it's, I'm excited. I'm so excited because there's so many ways for us to apply it. But one of the key components of it working is I have to be the preacher that I need to be. Over the last 12 years, I rarely, rarely look at messages that I preached more than five years before. And on occasion, I will look at an old one because I'm looking for a point that I made or something that I researched or whatever. And let's say that I find one that's in the first year that I was here. Almost without exception, I look at those messages and I'm like, ugh. And I'm not trying to feign humility here. I look at those old ones. I don't, I don't for the life of me know why you called me. I have no idea. Because I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, good night. That's, that's sophomore level Bible college stuff right there. I mean, that's just, you know. But I am endeavoring to be a better preacher. And you've been very patient with me, and I appreciate that. And you know what I've learned? You may disagree with this, but I'm learning. An evangelist preaches one way. Missionaries preach as they need to in the culture where they are. But a pastor, at some point, it stops being about the show. It stops being about the, man, what a message. And it becomes more about just systematically staying at it, staying at it, staying at it. You, you say, well, preacher, I, I have to be honest with you, I'm sick of the book of Mark. I have my moments too where I'm like, Mark, for being the shortest gospel, seems like it's taking forever. Galatians took nine and a half years, it felt like. I get it. I get it. But it's just, like, it's just like dieting or working out or whatever. Every day you don't feel the results, but then you look back and you're like, man, look at everything that got accomplished over that period of time. And we get out of the book of Mark. Let me tell you something. You're going to know the gospel of Mark better than anybody you know. And that's not a bad thing. And so it's about being more systematic and more staying at it. And I am endeavoring to be the best possible preacher for you that I can. I'm not always going to hit a home run, but I want to hit more than I used to. But you have a responsibility too. If this vision for 2023 and beyond is going to work, i got to be a better preacher. But you also have to look inside yourselves and say, okay, Lord, am I being a good listener? Am I being a responsive hearer? Because even if I preach a stinker, I mean a skunk bomb of a message, Maybe my delivery wasn't very good. Maybe my outline was garbage. But if I proclaimed the word of God, there's something there for you. And it stops being about whether or not I preached a good one. And it becomes, did I hear what God said to me and am I prepared to act on it? Well, let me tell you something. If I'm the preacher I ought to be in 2023 and you're the hearer you ought to be in 2023, it's going to get on. 
and I couldn't be more excited about it. I'll do my best to be a righteous herald, and you do your best to be a responsive hearer.